0: BlackRock downgrades stocks but still recommends them for the long term, so it must be recommending short term timing, which doesn't work. Plus, the bond market catches a bid and yields are falling, and PepsiCo, for one, is doing fine in this inflationary environment. It's Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast. I'm Jason Kelly. A new stock market outlook from BlackRock is getting lots of attention. I won't bury the lead. It's bearish. BlackRock is closely watched because it's the world's largest asset management firm, with more than $10 trillion under management, more than twice the assets of Jason Kelly and Company. Haha. <laughs> ha. Its Investment Institute team, headed by Jean Boivon, believes that, quote, the great moderation is over. The Great Moderation is what they call the period from 1987 to 2020, an era of steady growth and inflation which has now been replaced by, from their report, quote, a new regime of increased macro volatility and higher risk premia. Central banks appear set on reining in inflation by crushing growth, end quote. They cut most developed market equities to a tactical underweight, and their central concern is that the Federal Reserve and other central banks are constrained by piles of government debt. Now, this is something we heard, we've heard many times over the years. I mean, debt has been a problem since the 1980s, at least, even before that, but definitely since the 1980s. So I, I've written a lot about this, that, that we've been hearing that government debt is going to, to crush everything worldwide. There's going to be a great reset. I have been hearing that since I was in junior high school. And we're still hearing it today. So that part is not new. You hear very little that's new in stock market commentary. And I do have to call this part out. This idea that other central banks and the Fed are constrained by piles of government debt is an age-old concern. And I don't dismiss the concern. It looks outrageous to me, too. But we have to keep in mind that it looked outrageous about $18 trillion ago. I mean, you know, we're so lost in these numbers. You have to use almost, you know, cosmic scientific notation to keep up with the amount of death that's going on. So it is, it is crazy. It, it doesn't make sense. I would never run my life that way. But governments have been doing this for decades. They're not going to stop. And I guess we're just going to all keep saying someday it's going to matter until it finally does. But it's quite possible it'll be beyond our lifetimes. So keep that in mind. Nonetheless. Black Hawk, Black Hawk, Black Rock, says their central concern is that the Fed and other central banks are constrained by these piles of government debt. They can't raise interest rates as much as is necessary to quash inflation, so they'll be tempted to live with it. This is a central part of their, their argument, that, that, that uh, because central banks cannot crank interest rates enough, that we're going to have inflation lasting forever. That maybe it'll maybe not forever, but it's going to become entrenched, and they're worried that this will be a problem. And we're going to come back to that later of whether whether inflation really is a problem for stock investors. It's uh, it's not a given, actually. Anyway, they're they're worried that that the Fed will be tempted to live with inflation because it simply cannot raise interest rates high enough in light of the overwhelming government debt to meaningfully squash inflation. Meanwhile, the pandemic shifted spending from services to goods, as you know, and caused labor shortages. So the result are the well, well-advertised well production constraints that are infecting the global economy. And on top of all this, the Ukraine war added an energy shock. So BlackRock writes, quote, All this makes trade-offs between growth and inflation harder, we believe, and leads to worse outcomes, end quote. So far... Any news here? Not really. This is the 2022 script. You've you've read this, you've heard this for half a year now. It's tempting to say to BlackRock, now you're warning people away from stocks? But to be fair, I would have shrugged off a bearish take back in December as well, because bearish commentary is ever-present and usually wrong, so let's give their warning a fair hearing. They claim that, Quote, "traditional 60-40 stock bond portfolios and models won't work as well anymore, and buying the dip is unlikely to be as effective as it was before, End quote. Why would this be? Only if stocks won't rise. This seems to suggest that it would be best to know exactly where to position money based on knowing what will perform best. But when is this panacea not the case? I refer to people recommending this impossible course of action as Peter Perfect in my book, The 3% Signal, and he's a persistent bugger. It's easy to think like Peter Perfect, especially in hindsight. Who among us has not looked at a chart and thought, I should have bought that trough and sold that peak? However, in advance, it's impossible to know such turning points. Offering them as an investment strategy boils down to this. We recommend buying and selling at perfect moments. Good luck. Oh, OK, thanks. I'll get right on that. Right? I mean, that's really what people are saying. Now looks like a bad time. This, When I say people, I mean this BlackRock report specifically, but also many other analysts who say, we would exercise caution here, but be ready to jump on opportunities as they appear. That is fancy speak for buy at the exact perfect moment, which we don't think has appeared yet, but will appear at some point in the future, and we'll tell you afterwards when it did appear. There's just nothing to do with this kind of talk. Even though it dominates investment commentary, there is nothing we as investors at the buy button on the computer can do with those kind of commentaries. All right? All right. And indeed, later in their report, Team BlackRock basically rephrases just that advice to, we recommend buying and selling at perfect moments. They write that this new era for the financial markets requires, quote, more frequent tactical changes like spotting a turning point for stocks when markets eye a dovish pivot by central banks, end quote. Spotting a turning point? Go get them, champ. You, you go, guys. Just look for those turning points. You know, they're so easy to see in advance. Kind of like we could all easily see, well, how's it put, nine of the last three of them, and ten of the last two of them, right? How many times have you gone to the sidelines or been told to go to the sidelines, only to find later that stocks were a lot higher, etc.? Well, even BlackRock hints at just how tricky this is going to be when covering their second theme, titled... Living with inflation. (laughs) There's a a campaign slogan for you. Get, Get on that one, Joe Biden. That should help you immensely in the upcoming midterms and in 2024 after that. Living with inflation. Anyway, BlackRock thinks, quote, The Fed has boxed itself in by responding to political pressures to rein in inflation. In other words, the politics of inflation rule. This implies downside risks to growth and company earnings, Eventually, the damage to growth and jobs from fighting inflation will become obvious, in our view, and central banks will live with higher inflation. End quote. They, quote, see the Fed continuing with hikes up to restrictive levels by the end of the year. End quote. Alright, so then, super forecaster, what turning point should you hope to spot? Will the buy moment happen during the Fed's rate-raising phase? So far, the stock market's lows appeared in mid-June, as the Fed delivered its 75 basis point rate hike, described by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell as an unusually large one. With commentators declaring then that recession was inevitable, who would have guessed that it would have been a good buy point? Or will the buy moment happen when the Fed finishes raising rates? It's tempting to say yes, but... We can imagine commentators warning, then, that inflation will spiral out of control, that the central bank is giving up, i.e. what BlackRock calls living with inflation. Well, it turns out that BlackRock doesn't know the right buy point either. They conclude with a call to own stocks for the long term, which is as evergreen a truth as you can find in this business. Quote from, from their report, We prefer equities over bonds in the long run, as yields rise and inflation trends higher. We think central banks will live with higher inflation, pause, and then change course on their rate rises, a boon for stocks. End quote. But if so, then how short-term is their bearishness? Let's dig into that. One of BlackRock's arguments is that the Fed will hike its key Fed funds rate to a restrictive level by the end of the year. What is a restrictive level? St. Louis Fed President James Bullard discussed this on Monday in an interview with the Associated Press. And I'll link to the video highlight of that in the show notes. He said the U.S. economy is healthy and shows little sign of an imminent recession and can therefore handle higher interest rates. He pointed out that the 1980s and 1990s were boom decades for the U.S. economy and stock market, by the way, despite the presence of much higher interest rates quote from him, if you look at the 1980s, which was a boom decade for the U.S. economy, it had very high interest rates compared to today. And if you look at the 1990s, also a boom period for the U.S. economy, it had higher interest rates than today. So it's not that you can't grow and prosper in a higher interest rate environment, end quote. It's an understatement to say interest rates were higher in the 1980s. In 1981, the Fed funds rate exceeded 19%. 19%. It didn't drop below 6% until 1986 and didn't drop below 5% until 1991. It then spent most of 1995 to 2001 above 5%. How did stocks do during this era? Very well. It even included the roaring tech frenzy of the late 1990s. About the 1980s, David Weiss wrote in the Washington Post on December 31st, 1989, quote, In 1989, the Dow Jones Industrial Average of 30 stocks soared by about 25%, capping off the greatest decade of stock market performance since the 1950s. Ironically, it was only a decade ago that Businessweek ran its now-infamous cover story declaring the death of equities, how inflation is destroying the stock market. The Standard & Poor's stock market average of 500 stocks performed so well in the 1980s, 17.4% annual increases versus the historic 9.7% annual rise, that longtime market watchers find it hard to believe such superior performance can continue. End quote. That should sound familiar. Well, it did continue. The second half of the nineteen nineties brought a surging economy, productivity gains, stock market boom, and financing extravaganza for new companies. Notice in the Look Back Devices article. First, doubts about stocks are ever present, from Business Week's Death of Equities story to people questioning after the nineteen eighties boom whether stocks could continue higher. Yet, stocks always continue higher over the long run. Timing the entry and exit to the long-term rising line is a waste of time. When would have been good? Not the death of equities article, not the early 1990s, and so on. But the main thing to notice is that in the very high interest rate environments of the 1980s and 1990s, the economy and stocks performed very well. They didn't just survive, they thrived. Now come back to today. The current Fed funds rate is, are you ready for this? Not the 19% of 1981, not 10%, not even the 5% of the late 1990s, but 1.5 to 1.75%. You heard that right. It's less than 2%. Critics say, well, for now it is, but it's going higher. Sure, but the Fed's own dot plot issued in its June statement indicates that it will raise interest rates to near 3.5% by December and almost 4% in 2023. In other words, by current estimates from the central bank, interest rates will remain well under the levels at which stocks boomed in the past for at least another year and a half. Coming back to BlackRock's bearish forecast, it would seem, then that the firm is suggesting that stocks will turn higher at some point in the cycle, but we can't possibly know where because they've boomed from all points lower and higher than where they are now. This is not helpful guidance. Rather than offering high odds of better performance through perfect timing luck, it offers high odds of lower performance through likely timing mistakes. BlackRock itself wrote that stocks are better for the long run, If so, when does it suggest getting back in after following its advice to move to the sidelines now? It doesn't say, leaving me to think it will be based on reading the tea leaves of the short-term price line. Rather than doing that, I suggest it would be better to engage in a systematic approach of buying low prices as they persist. The Kelly Letters plans do so on a quarterly basis, but other approaches can work as well. For instance, I would bet a lot that anybody dollar-cost averaging into a stock index fund on a weekly or monthly basis from now to year-end would end up doing far better than somebody holding all their buying power back for the perfect moment. Stay systematic, my friend. It's the key to success in this environment of long-term stock market appreciation through constant uncertainty. One thing BlackRock mentioned as evidence that the financial markets expect higher inflation and interest rates was that the June jobs report showed a strong labor market, which should keep demand high and thus inflation high, then the following, quote, bond yields resumed their rise as markets price in higher chances that the Fed will raise rates by 75 basis points at its policy meeting later this month, end quote. Presumably, the firm was making the connection that bond traders should want out of bonds if they think yields will rise higher. Why? Because rising yields mean falling prices. If yields are going up due to higher inflation and interest rates, then bonds would be best avoided for a while. A fine argument, perhaps. Except for this niggling detail, bond yields have not been rising, as BlackRock stated. They've been falling. According to Bank of America, let's see here, $7.8 billion flowed into bond funds last week. That's the largest weekly inflow in two months. Okay, so bond traders are not avoiding bonds. They're flowing back into bonds in a big way. As they flow back into bonds, the prices naturally go up, which sends yields down, which is, as mentioned, the opposite of what BlackRock said, which makes it hard to accept the rest of their argument. This is a big change. For most of the year, money has been exiting bond funds because the Federal Reserve has been taking liquidity out of the market. And that exiting money from the bond market, of course, allows prices to go down, yields higher as mentioned. So here's what we've seen. The 10-year Treasury yield rose to 3.49% on June 14th from 1.63% on January 3rd. That is a 114% spike. So far in this cycle, the stock market bottom and the bond yield top happened in mid-June, June June 14th for the 10-year yield, June 17th for the S&P 500. With money going back into bonds now, however, the 10-year yield is down to about 3% again. You see here, 2.96% at yesterday's close from the peak on June 14th. That has brought it down 15%. Now, this is a good level. The the current about 3% level is good. Because it shows a stabilization in the bond market, but also provides enough real return over the 10-year inflation expectation of 2.3% annually that investors still find it worthwhile to own bonds. I mean, you want a healthy bond market. You don't want people running away from it or piling into it. So 3% seems pretty decent. And, and that's another thing, by the way. Inflation expectations have been falling since April. According to the St. Louis Fed, the 10-year break-even inflation rate is down to 2.3% from 3% back on April 21st. That's a pretty good adjustment downward. The 10-year yield and inflation expectations seem to signal the opposite of what BlackRock concludes. Financial markets expect improvement from here. For stocks, this should be good news. With bond yields declining from their June highs, the potential return from low levels in the stock market might finally catch a bid. We can't be sure how long the 10-year yield will stay around 3%, and it's not much of a timing tool. Nothing is. But we can say with certainty that BlackRock got the recent tenor of the bond market wrong. Yields have not been rising. They've been falling. I doubt this would cause Team BlackRock to update their forecast, given that it's guesswork anyway. Stocks could go up, down, or sideways from any 10-year yield. Remember, this is a zero-validity environment. I have to say, this seems like a lousy time for BlackRock to advise investors to the sidelines. I am pleased to run a plan that becomes more interested in stocks as their prices decline, a reaction that's 180 degrees from how most media react. Stocks down 20%, time to acquire shares. Pretty simple calculus to me. Is it all gloomy out there? Not according to PepsiCo. Yesterday, the company proved that even high inflation is not necessarily bad for company profits when it raised its revenue guidance for this year. Why? Because people are paying more for Pepsi and Doritos than they previously paid and are getting accustomed to it. Tricks like shrinking product sizes and reducing the number of chips in a bag while keeping prices the same probably have a ways to go. Hugh Johnston, PepsiCo's chief financial officer, said on CNBC's Squawk Box, quote, we are facing inflation like everyone else, and we think it is going to persist for a while, but we are taking enough price, pricing to be able to manage the inflation, and our focus is really much more on how do we drive costs out of the business, end quote. The company previously forecasted 2022 revenue growth of 8%, now it forecasts 10%. And you want to know something surprising? The stock's 52-week low wasn't last month or at any time in this year's inflation scare. It was on October 4th. Since that date, before inflation, rising interest rates, and the Ukraine war, the stock is up 13% through yesterday's close. Who to thunk, right? One simply never knows what the various market pressures will do. It is truly a zero-validity environment. Thank you for listening. This is The Kelly Letter Podcast. I'm Jason Kelly. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any of the easy links at jasonkelly.com, where you'll also find links to everything mentioned in this episode, including BlackRock's July 11th commentary, the one-minute video of St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, The Stock Market from the Roaring 80s to the Sober 90s by David Weiss in the Washington Post, Treasury Yields in 2022, the 10-Year Breakeven Inflation Rate, and PepsiCo's Quarterly Earnings. If you have a moment, please leave a review wherever you review podcasts. The only thing I'd love more than that is to welcome you to the Kelly Letter. Please subscribe at jasonkelly.com to access onboarding materials and start your own market-beating SIG plans. I send new letters every Sunday morning. Current subscribers, thank you for your support, and I'll see you Sunday.